0: All right. Thank you, worship team. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be hanging around today. We're doing a a small series, four week series on the church. We started out by talking about what we have in common, and then we moved on to talking about unity last week, and today we're talking about communication. Communication. It's a a key thing in the life of the church. Now, I got news for you. Uh, When I was a kid, I watched too much TV. And uh, that's just a reality. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I wish that I would have spent more time developing my character and reading more. But that's not what I did. I watched M.A.S.H. (laughs) St. Elsewhere. Basically any police show I could find. And uh, so... Uh, You could have a pastor that would draw sermon illustrations from his childhood of of adventure and learning. But with me, you get uh, illustrations about TV commercials that I remember. Do you feel blessed? (laughs) When I was a kid, I remember one of the TV commercials that I thought was funny was the Maytag Repairman. Do you guys remember the Maytag Repairman? The the big shtick with the Maytag Repairman was that he was bored all the time because Maytag appliances were so reliable, so durable, right? So good, high quality, that basically what you had was a guy sitting in a warehouse next to a phone that never rang because these things never break down, right? Now, we know better, but that was the, that was the little uh, TV commercial that was trying to get you to buy Maytag equipment. I remember one commercial was uh, about this Maytag repairman going to the doctor saying, I'm so lonely, I'm so bored. No one needs me because these Maytag appliances, man, they don't break down. Now, um, I also, my brain works in funny ways. I also remember that Fred Gwynn, you know, Herman Munster, was the voice at the end that would say, Maytag, the dependability people, right? Fred Gwynn, my cousin Vinny. Hello? Okay, good. Anyway, there are Parts of me as a pastor that longs to be like the Maytag repairman, because my life is not like his life at all. I know he's a fictional character. What I mean by that is that I oftentimes have people call me and need me, and I, you know, I feel blessed by that. But sometimes it's it's quite overwhelming. And um, what we're going to learn today from God's word if adopted by us all, will transform parts of my ministry to look like the Maytag repairman. Now, I realize there's always going to be a mission, you know, this mission that we're on, to love God, love others, and make disciples. There's always going to be people out there that have never heard the name of Christ, and we're always going to have the responsibility to get out there and reach people with the Lord. There's always going to be newer people in the church that are newer in their faith that are going to need teaching and training and discipling. That's always going to be there. But what could go away, what could minimize, are folks that have been following Jesus for many years who continue to struggle with the aspect of life that I'll be talking about today. That could go away. If we begin to practice what I'm going to share with you this morning. We're going to be talking about communication. That's what we're going to be talking about. In other words, earlier in Ephesians 4, I think I covered this last week, there's this part at the end of verse 16 that says this. It says, when each part, remember last week we talked about each part is us all, or uh, somebody reminded me who's from the south, all y'all, which includes me, right? when we all, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, the vision that I have of this verse, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think I've got this right according to God's Word, is that the way the church ought to function when it's, when it's growing towards maturity is that we are all in building mode, and we're all building one another up in love. This is not Falling onto a small group of people, it's falling onto all of our shoulders. We are all together in building mode, building the church up so that it uh, making making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we're aiming at uh, in this series as a church. So today we're going to be talking about communication, and it's a really simple question, question which is how should Christians communicate? How if once we've be Once we've turned away from doing life our way, the world's way, however you want to call it, and we've turned towards doing life Jesus' way, how should we use our words? How should we communicate? And in Ephesians 4, it turns out that there is uh, four rules, four principles that we can glean that uh, are absolutely transformational. And I I just got to be honest with you, I say probably nine and a half times out of ten, of people that come to me with problems in the body, somewhere, nine and a half times out of ten, somewhere somebody has violated one of these four principles. In other words, if if they had just adhered to these four principles, everything would be much better. Now, before we get into this, let me just, I want to spend a few minutes talking about change, right? Talking about change. And we have to, I think we as Christians have to wrestle with with a question that I don't think we wrestle with often enough, especially you young people, we don't don't talk about this enough in front of you, which is the following question. If Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins, if all that has been taken care of, then why don't we just not try anymore and keep sinning? And maybe the simplified Sunday school answer would be because because jesus says not to do that because god says not to do that because it's bad those are insufficient answers i don't think those are satisfying to me or really anybody else at a deep level it turns out that ephesians 4 uh, 17 to 24 this is the part right before we're, what we're going to study today has something to say about this let's just let's just work our way through it quickly before we get into these four four principles or four rules of communication Let's talk about change. Why do we change? Why do we not continue in our sin? Here's what the Bible says. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says this, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. As you know, walk, that word walk carries the connotation of your manner of life, how you live. That's what it's talking about here. It's not talking about your cadence, you know, when you're walking down the street. It's talking about your manner of life. And in this context, Gentiles, Gentiles is not talking about non-Jewish people as much as it's talking about unbelievers, folks who are not followers of Jesus Christ. So Okay, so he sta- starts by saying, I'm telling you this, you, you are no longer to have your manner of life like the unbelievers. And then he goes on to kind of explain why. He talks about uh, they're living in the they're living they're walking in the futility of their minds. In the futility of their minds, what does that mean? It means unbelievers live with their minds fixed on things that don't matter or won't make a difference in the long run. It's futile, it's useless, it's worthless, and they're consumed by these things. Unbelievers are right. Says so goes on to say they're darkened in their understanding. They don't have a full understanding of life. Why? Because they don't have a biblical worldview. Folks, try to hang with me here for just a quick second. If I were to stop right now and adopt a, a what I would consider to be a secular or humanistic worldview, oh, the worldview that says that we're all just a cosmic accident, the result of amino acids coming together and forming proteins that then gave birth to single-cell organisms that then evolved into who we are today, then I can't make an argument as to why we would do good. I, I can't make an argument. The whole justice system of the United States, to me, would seem to be arbitrary and meaningless if we're all just a cosmic accident. And I think that society left in that way of thinking is trending in that direction towards meaninglessness. But if we understand, because there is good evidence to support that there is a God, that he created everything, that he created us and his human beings in his image and his likeness, and that this, this life is filled with meaning and purpose, then we ought to listen to what he has to say about how we conduct ourselves here, because an all loving, all knowing God would tell us things that are both pleasing to him as, his, as our designer and healthy and good for us as we live this life. But he's saying, there understanding of life is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, there's the life of God, the life that God has for us, to them is a foreign concept. They're operating in ignorance, meaning they do not know. They're operating in hardness of heart, meaning that they're stubborn in their desire to do things their way they would would rather stubbornly dig their heels into the secular worldview and say, there is no God, there is no meaning to this life. I'm going to do what I want when I want with whom I want because I am in control. They're stubbornly stubbornly digging their heels into that worldview when there is good data, lots of it, by the way, to suggest that that's not the way that life works at all. They're, it's due to their hardness of heart. goes on to say they've become callous. You know what that means? Hardened, right? They, they've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, science is, t- you know, talking about giving themselves up to sensuality, science is telling us that um, when we seek pleasure as human beings, we get a hit of, and we satisfy that pleasure, we get a hit of what's called dopamine, Right? And there's folks that are out there that are just seeking that dopamine hit time after time after time to the point that if they overload themselves with sensuality, sensual experiences, they end up overloading their system with dopamine so that doing the mundane things of life that are necessary for our growth, like, you know, reading a book or having, carrying a conversation with someone who is meaningful to you, Become so boring and so disproportionately unpleasurable that they avoid it. So there's real there's real detriments to giving yourself over to sensuality. And then it says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's this innate human desire that as we dwell in our in this sinful world, there's this sinf- this desire that we have to, to go after that which is taboo, that which is forbidden. That has an allure to us in our sick, sinful, human thinking. And if you don't see that, if you don't get that, uh, then, you know, you can very easily fall for the deception, fall for the trick and give in to it. And then he goes on to say, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Christ did not operate his life that way as our example. Christ did not, ex- did not operate his life that way at all. Instead, he gave himself over to self-sacrifice for the good and building up of others. And in doing so, operated his life the way God had designed, God the Father had designed life to be operated, giving us a perfect example. He, this is not the way that you learn Christ. This was not Christ's example. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught to him as the truth is in Jesus, And here, now Paul turns and starts talking about the process of change. To put off your old self, okay? He's talking about almost like clothing. To to take off the clothing of your old life, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. By the way, there's a whole sermon right there. What does it mean to be corrupt through deceitful desires, You know what a deceitful desire is? A deceitful desire is a desire that you have that promises that it's going to make you happy and fulfilled. And when you actually experience the thing that you're desiring to experience, it leaves you empty. It's deceitful. It either leaves you empty or it leaves you wanting more. It's a deceitful desire. And those kinds of deceitful desires corrupt us as human beings. What I mean by corrupt, it means it makes us live not according to the way we were designed to live. It makes us to live in a contorted fashion, a sinful and contorted fashion. Instead of living in a way that is all about loving God, loving others, making disciples, we end up living our lives for ourselves. That's very corrupt. It's not the way we were designed to live. Anyway, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, oops, I keep going too fast, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, what does that mean? i spent the week thinking about that, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here's, here's the conclusion that I've reached. You can, you can be free to disagree with me. Uh, if you read a bunch of different commentators on what does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, you're going get, to get some different answers. Here's what I've come to the conclusion of in my thinking. To be renewed in the thinking of your mind is to become convinced of the foolishness of living like an unbeliever and to become convinced that God's way is actually better. That's what it means to be renewed in the thinking of your mind. We're going to talk about examples of that here in a minute, but that's what it means. It means through either your own experimentation, your own thinking, your own observations of the life around us, you've come to the conclusion that your way of doing life, or a sinful way of doing life, is bad, it's not good, it's not productive, not healthy, and God's way is best. So to be renewed in the thinking of your mind, and and then to put on the new self, again, putting on, like putting on clothing, put on the new self created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness and here i want to remind you what true righteousness looks like or what i believe it means is that you're putting on living as you were designed to live it is right it is righteous and holiness which is being set apart as different than the world than the sinful humanity that is unredeemed to true righteousness and holiness so here's the process. It's, it's not the God's plan for change is very simple. You put off the old self, right, which is all corrupt because of the deceitful desires. You get, you get all that. You, you be renewed in the thinking of your mind. This requires some effort on your part to sit down and think, this is what I've been doing. This has been the result of what I've been doing. This is obviously, God's word tells me that this is sinful. So what would it look for me to do life God's way and how would that be Beneficial for me and for the people around me. And then choose to walk in that way. Be renewed in the thinking of your mind and to put on the new self. Actually begin to live that out and practice it. So here's an exercise for you. Before we even get into the sermon sermon, this is the pre-sermon. Everybody's excited about that, I can tell. <laughs> you know, it's when it's when it's silence. It's like, oh boy. here we come. No, I'm just, that's not going to happen. Here's an exercise for you to try this week. I don't think there's anything more useful to the Christian than a Bible, a pen, a piece of paper, and a cup of coffee. Or tea, or whatever your beverage of choice is. Water is fine. Take a piece of paper, write down the biggest sin problem that you have in your life, and ask yourself the question, what is this sin problem? promising me, and what am I really getting from it? And further write down, what has God said about what I'm doing? And what are the benefits of doing it His way? That'll mess with your mind, I promise you. In a good way. It'll mess with your mind in a good way. I'm always reminded of this when I think about things like this. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Try it. Try doing it God's way. Okay, with all that being said, let's talk about communication. This is Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Let's talk about communications because now Paul is going to turn. There's a therefore there, which means that Paul is going to take what he's just talked about, which is what we just talked about, and then he's going to then apply it and he's going to apply it in five different circumstances. Four of those have to do with communication. So let's talk about it. Not, uh, the four rules of communication or what this called. You can call it principles, rules, whatever you want to call it. But again, if you learn these four things and you implement them into your life, I think you're going to be shocked at how well things are going to go and how, how uh, beneficial this is going to be to the unity of this body. Number one is to be honest. No surprise there. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In each one of these four principles or four rules of communication, you're gonna see a pattern emerge. Pattern is, you're gonna see the put off part, you're gonna see the put on part, and you're gonna see the be renewed in the thinking of your mind part. In all four of these, you're gonna see that. So ask yourself the question, what is the put-off part? The put-off part is, therefore, having put away falsehood. So stop telling lies. Stop using your words to represent things that aren't true. That's the put-off part. What's the put-on part? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So use your words to say what is true, right? Now, what is the the be-renewed-in-the-thinking-of-your-mind part? This might be a little tricky for you, but I've been thinking about this for a number of years, so here it is. For, or because, we are members one of another. The body of Christ is not... In the, in the Old Testament Jewish system, there was a temple, tabernacle first, but then a temple. And that te- uh, temple was made of all these stones. It was constructed by all these stones that were heaped on top of each other and, and tied together. You get the idea the temple temple is no more. If you travel to Israel, it's gone. The temple mount is there, but the temple itself is gone. Jesus came and established what Paul talks about as a a new structure of living stones, right? We are living stones. We are, each one of us is uh, a a temple. Our body is the temple, of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up uh, residence in us and we are together the living stones that make up this new structure and when we lie to one another we destroy that structure we do damage to that structure because we're not letting our words say what is true we are misrepresenting the truth we are telling lies and that creates confusion and chaos within the body, and it can lead to its destruction. So here's, here's another way to think about it. Why do we do this? Why do we be honest? Because telling lies is corrosive to the community. Think about it. Think about any situation that you've ever been in when you've got a trusted friend or a church member, and you've asked them a, a simple question, or perhaps you've, you've, you've asked them a, a more complicated question, and what they told you was lies. What does that do to trust In the body, destroys it. It it, it erodes it. What? I'm not talking about a person who was mistaken and then they came back to you later and say, "You know, I told you X, but I was wrong. I was misinformed. I apologize." Really, what's going on here is why. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a person that told you a lie. Did you do this? No, I did not do that. And they had. It's corrosive to the community. Now. I know what all the men in the room are thinking. You're thinking to yourself, Pastor Scott, but what what do I do when my wife comes to me and says, does this garment make me look a certain way? I'm not going to get into the details of that. Okay? And here's the, the framework that I use, the, the lens that I use when I think about being honest with people. I think about this. Am I going to Am I going to build them up? Am I going to build them up? In saying what I'm about to say, the way I'm about to say it, am I going to build them up or am I going to tear them down? Sometimes you can say the truth, but you can say the truth not in love, right? We need to speak the truth in love. That's earlier in Ephesians 4. So am I saying this in such a way that it's going to build them up? So you've got to think carefully about that. Let me see if I can illustrate this with an analogy. I have owned, so Tracy and I have owned several homes. And the first home that we owned, unbeknownst to us when we bought it, had some water damage as a result of, a, there was an addition put on the house and it had a bad roof line and the, the water was not dealt with properly and so we had water damage. And so when you, would, when you would walk up, when you would put your foot up to a wall and walk along the wall, you heard cracking and groaning and all this kind of stuff. The wood was rotten. And so, lo and behold, uh, this house was on a crawl space. I went down into the crawl space, and the floor joists were, in that spot, rotten. Now, if anybody has ever worked on a house, the floor joists or the, the beams under the floor that hold up the floor, that's bad news. But I'm going to tell you something if I would have done that little experiment and I've heard that crackle and pop and then I go down into the crawl space and I look and I see the obvious signs of rotted wood and I say to myself I don't feel good about that I feel bad about that so here's what I'm going to say to myself it'll probably be fine I'm just going to ignore this problem Am I setting my, am I building, am I building up my house, or am I, in effect, tearing it down? I'm tearing it down, because if I wait long enough, that floor joist is going to give, and I'm either going to do major damage to my house, or something, you know, something worse. So what do we do? When we discover the problem, we're honest with ourselves. We say, the floor joists are rotten. Number one, I got to stop the problem. I got to, I got to deal with this Wonky roof line, and I got to get the water flowing away from the house. That's done. Okay, now I got to get under there. I got to jack up the floor joists. I got to cut out the bad pieces. I got to replace them. Got to replace the subfloor. Got to put put down some new carpet. You deal with it quickly. It's a small problem. You let it fester for years and years and years. All of a sudden, the whole you know, you're walking in one of those rooms where it's like this. You know, like you put a marble on the floor and it rolls. Will it build up? Now, I want to warn you of a couple things before I move on. This is an important point. Number one, there's a word that's used in our culture today often, and young people, this is especially for you, okay? Because this is something that's so prevalent in the culture, and you might not see it. I certainly, I listen for these things. I oftentimes hear people say something along these lines. I just want my parents to support me. And when I hear that in context, what I'm hearing uh, someone say is, "I want to be allowed whatever I want to. D- I want to be allowed to do whatever I want to do, and I want my parents to say okay." Young people, hear me. You, the last thing you want on this cotton-picking planet is parents like that. You do not want parents who are going to say yes to everything that you come up with in your head. You indeed want parents that are going to guide you according to God's word. That's what you want. I promise you as a man who's lived longer than 25, that's what you want. And so what your expectation should be from your parents is that they're going to be honest with you and when they see you going in a direction that's counter to God's word, they're going to bring that up. Please don't say to them in the moment where they're trying as hard as they can to speak the truth in love. Don't turn to them and say, you're not supporting me. If by support you mean letting me do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And here I'm really talking about what's right and wrong. Uh, preference items, that's, that's negotiable, right? Preference items are negotiable. But um, you've got to honor your father and mother and they have to do the best they can not to exasperate you by telling you the truth in love by the way, that's not just true for you young people, that's true for us as well. Folks, you need to be the type of person you need to grow, perhaps this is an area that you need to grow in, you need to be the type of person where someone, a brother or sister in Christ can come to you and tell you the truth. And you will hear it in the spirit that is being offered. Man, the church, this church would just be incredible if we were filled with people who would speak the truth of love and be people who could receive the truth in the spirit that it was offered not saying how dare you not saying get out of my face what do you say you know not taking offense but choosing to say thank you in coming to tell me this i sense that you love me enough to bring this to my attention i'm gonna go think about it i'm gonna go pray about it thank you so much for bringing this to my attention now sometimes it 's debatable uh, whether whether to bring something up whether to bring something up to someone in other words you're i'm often in the situation where somebody says something to me and i can I can take it one way and it 's that 's okay I, I get it, or I can take it another way and it, I can think they were trying to insult me and i 've wrestled with that for a long time here's here 's the best thing I can come up with The best thing I can come up with is i 've decided to um, sleep on it. And if either the next day I wake up and it's still on my mind, or the next time I see that person, the first thing that pops into my mind is what they said, I've got to deal with it. For the sake of the unity of the body, for the sake of this community, I've got to deal with it. I've got to go to that person and be honest. Hey, when you said that, this is the way I took it. Is that the way you meant it? Something like that. If not, if the next day I've forgotten about it, if next time I see that person and I don't even think about that anymore, I, I resolve that I've let love cover it, which is a biblical thing to do. Okay, that's rule number one. Rule number two is keep current. Rule number two is keep current. Here again, you're gonna see the pattern. What's the pattern? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Put off. Be angry and do not sin. It is possible For you to be angry, remember my definition of anger. Anger is energy to solve problems. That's all it is. You can be righteously angry or you can be unrighteously angry, meaning you can take anger and act on it sinfully or you can take anger and act on it constructively as Jesus did when he fashioned a whip out of cords and drove the money changers out of the temple. He was acting constructively. It may not have been politically correct, But it was constructive They had polluted the house of the Lord With commerce Okay So the put off is Be angry and do not sin The put on is Do not let the sun go down on your anger Another way to say that is Deal with today's problems today Now I realize that I just said In the last point I sleep on it sometimes And there I was talking about Something that's debatable Right If there's something that's firm that you know is a problem that somebody clearly sinned against you, the the encouragement here, the rule, the principle is, deal with it now. Deal with it today. Because what is the be renewed in the thinking of your mind part? And give no opportunity to the devil. When we do not resolve conflict within the body of Christ, you realize this, right? Every church split that has ever happened started with something dumb like I wasn't invited to the church potluck, and I'm mad. I don't know. I can't imagine the scenario that would happen, right? But, uh, you know, or, or uh, you know, something small that wasn't resolved. And it turned into unresolved conflict. Then it turned into gossip. Then it turned into people forming themselves into factions. Well, I'm on this side, and I'm on this side. And then it metastasized into a giant church battle and a split. It all started with unresolved conflict. When we don't resolve conflict, we allow the devil into our... I mean, you might as well just... If you're going to live a life that's not... If you're going to live in such a way as to not resolve conflict in a timely manner, you might as well just stand out there at the corner of Bell and Sandusky with a big placard that says, Satan, come on in. Come on into this church and just wreak your havoc because that's what, in effect, you're doing. So here's the change changed thinking part. Unresolved conflict allows Satan to do his work. Now, what does this look like in real life? It, it looks like simply, when somebody wrongs you, simply going to that person and having a conversation and saying, when you did this, when you said this, when this happened, i you know, you were sitting against me, I do believe, unless I misunderstood, unless I'm misunderstanding, and if I'm misunderstanding, please explain to me why you did what you did. Deal with today's problems today. Can I tell you, in my life, when I've dreaded doing this, and I've ended up doing it, I feel, A, so much better, and B, oftentimes, it's a misunderstanding or my misreading of the situation. All right, rule number three, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Not the person Verses 29 and 30 says this Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths But only such as good For building up as fits the occasion Man there's so much in this verse That it might give grace to those who hear And do not grieve the Holy Spirit Of God by whom you were sealed For the day of redemption What's the put off? The put off is you Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths This would include things like name calling If I'm having a problem with you let me ask you the question if I'm having a hard time with you if there's a sin issue between us what good what constructive thing what building up does it do for me to call you a jerk face how does that help it helps at zero in fact it just serves to make things worse let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths What good does it do if I'm having a problem with you for me to go tell 10 other people about it? That's called gossip. What good does that do? Zero. All it serves to do is to make the problem bigger because now you've got a whole bunch of other people in the congregation who know, you know, Justin and Fred are fighting. i picked two names at random. I don't know Justin and Fred. These are hypothetical people. If I use real names, I get in trouble because people, lo and behold, just don't come up to me after the sermon and say, why are you talking about me? Let no unwholesome talk, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Here's the put on. That's the put off. Here's the put on. But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that I might give grace to those who hear. There's that G word again. There's that grace word again. What's that mean? It means getting what you do not deserve. So, situation. I go out in the hallway after the sermon. One of you comes up to me after the sermon and says, Pastor Scott, three things. Number one, I hate you. Number two, that was the worst sermon that I've ever heard. And number three, I'm going out to flatten all your tires. Now, what is my response going to be? What would be a typical response oh yeah how dare you talk to the pastor of this church that way do you know who i am i'll bet you in the next few minutes i'll be able to round up all 12 elders and we will instantly excommunicate you from this church from what for what you just said you heathen scum Now, is there any grace in there? Did I give that person anything more than what they deserved? There's no grace. How about this? Somebody comes up to me, they say those three things, and I say, huh, I have no idea why you feel that way. I'm curious to know. Why don't we go into my office and have a conversation about this because I certainly... Am troubled that you think this way about me. I certainly intend nothing ill toward you. They gave me hatred and name calling and whatever, and I've given them back grace. I'm using my words to try to build up the relationship, to try to resolve the conflict, to try to be honest. You know, I'm not, in, in saying anything, I'm not glossing over anything. That's be honest. In saying what I'm saying, I'm not trying to delay. I'm trying to deal with it quickly. That's keep current. And I'm trying to give them grace. I'm trying to attack the problem. I don't even know what the problem is at this point. Maybe the problem is it's the worst sermon you've ever heard. I don't know. Whatever the problem is, we need to find that out, and then we need to deal with it together. That's the put on. And then what is the be renewed in the thinking of your mind part? Here it is, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have you any idea what God thinks? This verse gives us a good clue of what God thinks of his image bearers, that's us, who have also been redeemed by the blood of his son, that's all Christians, using our words to tear others down. I, tell you what, I can tell you how God feels about that. Grief. God is grieved when we use our words that way towards one another. And I don't know about you, I don't want to grieve God in my life. So this is the way I phrased it. (laughs) Maybe this is too contemporary, I don't know. God is grieved when someone he has saved talks trash. Now, this is really hitting me hard because basketball season is about to start. And I don't always have a good relationship with the calls that officials make against my daughter. Anyway. You get the idea. That's kind of silly, but you get the idea. God, this is dead serious stuff, guys. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, But Only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion. That, that as fits the occasion is a big deal. Do you bring? Stu- do, you, do you attack the problem in a group where there's like 13 people hanging around, and you've got a serious beef with someone? Do you? Is that the occasion? No, that's probably not the occasion. You probably need to say, "Hey, let's go talk." That's a better occasion, right? As fits the occasion. All right, last one. Act, don't react. Act, don't react. Look at verses 31 and 32. Act, don't react. Here it is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That is the put off. Bitterness, which is smoldering anger. Wrath, which is like emotionally out of control vengeance, right? Anger, we've talked about that, but here in the context... We're getting that this is the unrighteous anger that we talked about earlier. Clamor, loud and boisterous speech and activity. Slander, talking, uh, you know, spreading lies, speaking lies against someone that aren't, you know, things that aren't true or things that need to be hidden. Along with all malice. Malice is desiring that someone fall upon bad circumstances or desiring ill for another person. That is to be put away from you as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. That usually erupts in the form of an emotional response to something you don't like. So you don't like something and you erupt in, uh, in action. It becomes a reflex, right? If, you, if you're not practicing self-control, it becomes a reflex. and you, So if somebody hollers at you, you give them back double with twice as ludicrous speech that they gave you, right? What's the put on? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is the product of someone who has been forgiven of all their sins, acting in self-control to respond in such a way as when someone has responded or sinned against you, you're going to respond to them in such a way that's under control and constructive. In other words, you're building up. This is not always the easiest thing to do. But this is what we're called on to do. And why? What is the be renewed in the thinking of your mind part? Here it is. It's the last phrase. As God in Christ forgave you. When someone comes at you, accusing you of things that you did not do, telling you things that are not true about you, or or name-calling you and telling you some horrible thing about yourself in an attempt to tear you down and to make you feel like a piece of trash on the ground you have got to constantly remember that the biggest problem that you've ever had in your life, which is your standing before God and the sin that separates you, has been completely for- been forgiven by Jesus Christ and him alone. That problem is solved. Your destination is secure. You're going to go to heaven when you die. And because of that reality, you can stand with your two feet on the ground facing the person who's saying the most awful things about you and you can choose to build them up. Which is one of the most powerful testimonies that Christians can have on this earth. When someone is just trying to shred the living daylights out of you, you can just stand there and look at them and say, I love you. Let's work on this together because you know something is obviously wrong and we need to get to the bottom of it. And if they walk away, they walk away. That's not on you. Your job is is to act, not to react. In other words, act in self control, don't react in emotion. And the ground that we stand on when we can do that is because God in Christ forgave you. What does that say? What does that mean? What's the change thinking? Forgiven people are freed to love others. We're liberated. Why? Because every single thing coming out of that other person's mouth that's designed to tear us down, it's designed to besmirch us, maybe sully our reputation, whatever, we can stand there knowing none of it's true. I know who I am because my identity is in Christ, not in what this person just said about me. It's completely liberating. All right. Let's finish this up. How should Christians communicate? Very simply following these four rules of communication, four rules of communication, Christians should communicate in such a manner that is always building up the community. And I'm talking about the church, right? Always building up the community. Now, can we practice these things out in public? Of course we can. Uh, But here I think specifically we're talking about the church. Of course we can and of course we should, I I guess I should say, but, but these things need to be practiced in the church. And what a wonderful thing that God has given us the church to, to practice these things in. All right, by way of practical application or possible application, I would just, these. Are, I think it's pretty obvious, but there's just a couple things I would say. Number one is consider which of these principles you need to work on most. Are you a truth teller, right? Are you honest with people? Are you honest with your spouse, right? Are you honest with folks in your life? Um, are you convinced? Are you convinced? Maybe, maybe, one of those four, you're convinced you need to grow in that area. Are you convinced that you need to change? Are you convinced that God's way is better? Do your homework. Do your research. Settle it in your own mind, and then what would you change? Uh, what would change your mind to make you go along with God's way? And then the second one is just really obvious. Like make a plan to grow in the area or areas that you selected. Again, my hope is that we reach as a church as Delaware Bible Church we reach this level this is where i'd like to get to before i retire here it is ready ephesians 4:16 when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love that's the goal and really in many ways that's the point of this series Father, it's incredible to me, and I hope that it occurs to all of us, that in your sovereign plan, a man sitting in a prison thousands of years ago took up a pen and on parchment wrote the words that we studied this morning and that those words were preserved for us today and that they are so edifying, so helpful, so clarifying to us that we can't be helped but to understand that these words are the very words of you. That you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. You have given us the Holy Spirit in our lives to think about these things and to convict us that, yes, these things are so. Are they countercultural to where we're at today? Father, they are. Are they things that are so lofty we can't hope to gain any mastery over them no father these are things that you've given us that are very achievable things that we can work on practically that will help us and that will sow unity and draw us tighter together in this body so father we thank you for who you are Your awesome power to give us this word and deliver it to us in the Bible and to illuminate our minds to be able to see what they say and to be able to put them into practice. Now, Father, as we go out and we, in fits and starts, begin to apply these things in our lives, please bless our efforts and show us, uh, as we practice these things, an increase in love and unity within this body as an example to each other and to the unbelieving world for your glory and the perpetuation of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.